And I want to talk to you today one last time about attitude. I'm going to call this a conquering attitude. I want to look at what a conquering attitude is. Because every believer in here, and that's most everybody here, is called to have a conquering attitude, not a defeated attitude. But a conquering attitude because the great conqueror, the greatest of all, lives in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So I want us to look at Romans 8, verse 35. And if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. You can just look up on the screen. Um, Some of my favorite passages, Romans 8 is so loaded with good stuff. But let's just read a little bit of it. Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Yet, now I want you to read this last part with me good and loud like you're the one preaching. Are you ready? Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Do you believe that? All right. Now notice what he said about you and me. He said, we don't just conquer, we more than conquer. Isn't that amazing? We don't just win, we more than win. We don't just have the victory, we have more than victory. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that today you will help us to put on the attitude that Jesus had. Not only was he a humble servant, not only did he serve you all the way to the cross, but he also, Lord, maintained a conquering attitude throughout his entire life on earth. And I pray that that attitude that was in him will be in us. And, Lord, I thank you for it in the mighty name of Jesus. Everybody say, give me a conquering attitude, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, he heard that prayer. He heard that prayer. Bad attitude is like a flat tire. You're not going to get anywhere until you change it. I know that's kind of hokey, but it's true. Now, for the last few weeks, we've talked about attitude and the magnitude of attitude, how important it is that we have the right attitude. Everybody walked in here today with an attitude. Everybody will leave with an attitude. And this week, you're going to wear an attitude. There is nobody that walks out the front door that is not wearing an attitude, good or bad, positive, negative, sweet or sour. You're wearing an attitude. Now, we've talked about not just the magnitude of attitude, but an unselfish attitude and a winning attitude. And we looked at the exhortation given to us in Philippians where Paul said, let the attitude that was in Jesus be in you. Let it be in you. Now, he wouldn't tell us to do something we could not do. If we can't have the attitude of Jesus, the Bible would not be telling us to walk in it. So we're to have the attitude that Jesus had. And that was overcoming, and that was servanthood, and that was conquering, and that was loving, and that was not angry, not sour, not bitter. He loved. He didn't hold grudges. He didn't develop a root of bitterness, though he was treated terribly. He carried his attitude, his conquering attitude to the end. From the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, 
Since he had that attitude, we're to have it. Now, let me again define attitude uh, just to bring us up to speed. An attitude is a settled disposition or a frame of mind about a person or thing. That's what an attitude is. Your attitude is the lens through which you view life. How do you look at life? Is it fair, unfair? Is it, is it good for you or bad? Do you look at life through angry eyes or bitter eyes or through thankful eyes and loving eyes? How do you look at life? The way you look at life is your attitude. Somebody wrote this about attitude. This is so good. They wrote, it is the advanced man of our true selves. Its roots are inward, but its fruit is outward. It's our best friend or our worst enemy. It is more honest and more consistent than our words, your attitude. It's your outward look based on past experiences, your outward look based on what happened back there. It is a thing which draws people to us or repels them from us. It's never content until it's expressed. It is the librarian of our past, the speaker of our present, and the prophet of our future. Tell me what your attitude is, and I can predict some things about your life five years from now. You can't keep an attitude a secret, just like the little boy told to go sit in the corner of the room for being bad. He said, all right, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. That's attitude. You're going to show your attitude in your face, your voice, your actions, the way you carry yourself, your posture, and you can't get away from it. That's your attitude. However much you are for or against something, your attitude will show through to those that are around you, and you can't help it. Everybody in here with teenagers say, I know that's right. I had a big amen over there. Now, I want to close out this series by looking at the attitude uh, that is crucial to our victory as Christians, and that is a conquering attitude. I want you to think about that concept, an attitude that is a conquering attitude as opposed to a defeated attitude. Now, let me, let me just differentiate between last week and today. Last week, I talked about a winning attitude. But a winning attitude is how you view life in general. But a conquering attitude is how you view your battles in particular. How you view your battles. Do you face your battles with a defeated, I'm a victim, loser kind of attitude? Or do you face them with a confident, faith-filled, I can do all things through Jesus kind of attitude? How do you face your battles? Because the attitude with which we face our battle is going to decide whether we win or lose. I guarantee you it's true. You remember uh, back in the days of Moses when they were going to go in and take the promised land. Moses chose 12 men, one from each tribe of the tribes of Israel. And he said, I want you to go into the promised land, scout it out. I want you to go spy it out and come back and bring us a report about the promised land we have waited all these years to walk into. So 12 men went off. 12 men looked at the promised land and 12 men returned. But they didn't bring the same report of what they saw. Ten brought a negative report. Two brought a positive, conquering, attitude kind of report. Listen to the ten. 
They said, there we saw the giants, and we were like grasshoppers. Now listen to this telling statement. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight. That reveals the lens through which they were viewing life and viewing their battle. They looked at the giants, and they said, they said, in our own sight, the way we saw us was we were like grasshoppers compared to them. How you view yourself, are you a winner or a loser in Jesus, matters when you face your battle. Now, notice it wasn't the giants that defeated them. It was the lens through which they saw their enemy that defeated them. It wasn't the giants. The giants didn't have to lift a finger. Their attitude did it for them. The way they looked at the giants, the way they looked at themselves, the way they looked at the battle did it for them. They were defeated before they even began. Is that the way you face your battle? Not, not a person in here today is free of some kind of battle. We're all going through some kind of a battle. We're in a battling world. We're in a, a world under assault, and all of us have an enemy. And we all face mountains, and we all face battles. We all face enemies and adversaries that are against us. And how do we face them when we look at them? Do we look at them with a conquering attitude? I can do this attitude. I'm a winner attitude through Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or do we look at them through a defeated, negative attitude? Listen, they didn't stop there, but they continued to talk about how bad things looked. They said, we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and we can't win. We can't defeat them. They're bigger than us. But now two of the 10 or of the 12 had a different report. Listen to their conquering attitude in the words they spoke. They said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. We are well able to overcome it. Instead of saying we can't, they said we can. And then in the next chapter, they went even further and they said, don't fear the people of the land. I love this. They are our bread. They are our bread. We're going to eat them alive. Their protection has departed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Look at the different attitudes. A negative attitude, defeated attitude, looked at them and said, we can't do it. The positive, conquering, victorious attitude looked at the enemy and said, don't fear them. We will consume them. They have no protection. God is with us. And the attitude with which they viewed the enemy made them to be the only two men that crossed over into the promised land when the first generation totally died out. They were the only two of the first generation that crossed over. And what got them over was their overcoming, conquering attitude. Amen. <clears throat> Look at how the two groups totally differed with the attitude in which they viewed the enemy. The 10 men with a defeated attitude talked about the size of the giants, how they imagined the giants saw them. And it may or may not have been true viewed themselves as defeated and weak and how impossible it all looked. That's one way to look at your problems. 
But the two men with a conquering attitude saw the battle already won, already won, that God had removed the giant's protection and that the Lord was with them. Now, unfortunately, we know the bad report prevailed and an entire generation, over a million people, did not cross over into the promised land because of the report of 10 men who looked at the battle through a defeated attitude. Wow. Now, the Apostle Paul, who I call the king of a positive attitude, he's the king. This man, Paul, he he amazes me every time I read the way he responded to adversity. You should read what Paul wrote. Read about him. Because he had such an overcoming attitude, and he's the one that told us, have the same attitude in you that was in Jesus. He's telling us where he got his attitude. He said, I got it from Jesus. I got my attitude from Jesus. And and nothing could knock him down. Nothing could knock him out. Nothing took him out of the game. Nothing knocked him off the saddle. He just got up and kept on going and kept on going in spite of all kinds of adversity He kept going, and he refused to quit, and he reached the end and was able to say, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith, and that's what we all want to say. And how did he do it? I'm telling you, he would never have spoken those words if he had not cultivated a conquering attitude. How many of you want to finish well? You want to finish well? Now, if you were to read Romans 8, 28 through 39, here's what you would find. The blueprint for a conquering attitude. You may want to write that down. Romans 8, 28 through 39. He gives the blueprint for a conquering attitude. But I want to summarize it for you today. What was his attitude comprised of? How did he get it? How many of you would like to know how to have a conquering attitude? Well, that's about five of you. I'm kind of wondering about you. I know it's nine in the morning, but let me ask that again. All right. Amen. Now, let let me show you the anatomy. Let me show you the anatomy of a conquering attitude. Here's the first thing. Paul says, you got to know this to have a conquering attitude. God has decreed our victory. I want you to say that with me. God has decreed my victory. It's been decreed. Now, let me read it to you. You know this verse, but let me just read it slow. Soak this in. Listen to what he says. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. Now, that's a mouthful. Now, I want you to listen to what he said. We're told here that God decided something. He's telling us in those two verses, God has decided something. He has decided that those who come to his son, Jesus Christ, will become like him. When you got saved, there was a a chosen spoken over your life. He chose you. That means he decreed that you would be like his son. Listen to what it's telling us. He has decreed that no matter what God's children experience in life, good or bad, it will, all experiences will be made to serve this purpose, that we are shaped into the image of his son. He has decreed it. It is decreed. You're going to be like Jesus whether you like it or not. It's a decree. 
It's a decree. He chose us to be like his son. Now, if you want to know what the ultimate will of God is, that's it. He makes all things work together for the good of one ultimate purpose, that we would be formed and shaped into the image of his son, that we would be Christ-like. It's a decree. It's a decree. He chose us for this. Listen to the Message Bible. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. Well, that's good stuff. That ought to rock your world. Because that means since he chose it, he's working to that end every day. Every single day, you're on the potter's wheel, and every single day, the hands of God are coming in on you, his, his prize vase, his prize vase or vase, depending on where you're from. He, he's, he's moving in, and he is shaping your life as that wheel spins, as circumstances happen in your life, good, bad, or indifferent. His hands are shaping you into the image of his son. You are his ongoing workmanship. You are his project. And he's shaping you Every day, in the image of his son, he's chosen you for that, so he has decreed your victory. Now, if God decreed that all things will work together for our good, who or what can defeat us if God has decreed it? Now, Paul said, we know this. Now, I wonder if, if we all here today and those watching by streaming video, I wonder if we really know this. He said, we know that all things work together for the good. Now, I want to suggest to you that that is part and parcel of a conquering attitude because if you know, if you know that he has decreed your victory, how can you have a defeated attitude? If you know he has decreed your victory and that all things are going to be made to bow to his purpose for you, then how in the world can we be negative? How in the world can we be defeated? How in the world can we lose? No, we're being told here we are in a win-win situation. We are in a win-win situation. God has decreed that everything Satan can throw at me or that man can do to me or that circumstances can hand to me will only work for my good. So good things, when I get a raise, that works for your good. Bad things, when I get fired, that's going to work for your good. In betrayals, in setbacks, in disillusionments, in discouragements, in good times and bad, bitter and sweet, no matter what comes my way, the hands of God are there to make it bow, to serve his purpose, to shape me into the image of Jesus Christ. Everybody say, I cannot lose. Say it again, I cannot lose. You say, but Pastor Jeff, this person, this person that I believed in and was loyal to me and that I loved walked out and stabbed me in the back. Get up and keep on going because God has grabbed that betrayal and he has said, bow to my purpose and I'm going to shape them into the image of Jesus through that pain. I cannot lose. You cannot lose. So say with me, he's decreed my victory. Well, I want us to try that one more time. I'm going to get you nine o'clockers preached up here in a minute. Come, say with me again, he's decreed my victory like you mean it. He's decreed 
There you go. Now, here's the second thing that, that, that a conquering attitude knows. This is another part of the anatomy of a conquering attitude. It is knowing God is for us. He's for us. In light of all the overwhelming evidence that Paul gives in Romans 8, that is in our favor, Paul asks a question. He said, well, in light of all of this, if God is for us, now think about that, if God is for us, he's concluding based on everything he has just told us that he's decreed your victory, you can't be separated from his love, all the great things he shares with us in Romans, he said in light of all that, clearly God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is no one. No one can be against you. If God be for you, who can be against you? It's a rhetorical question. He means no one. Now, Paul's not saying that nobody can come against you. Who, who, can, who can be against us? He's not saying you're not going to get attacked because people and devils come, came against him all the time and people and devils come against you and me all the time. So he wasn't saying you can't get attacked. Here's what he's saying. Who can successfully come against us if God be fighting for us? Oh, yeah, they're going to come against you. They're going to criticize you. That is human beings. They're going to make fun of you, mock you, ridicule you, criticize you, slander you. If any man walks in the will of God and serves Jesus with all of his heart, he will suffer persecution, the Bible says. If you you live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. So clearly, we're going to experience adversity. He's not saying they can't come against you. He's saying they cannot ultimately, totally, and finally, successfully come against you if God is fighting for you. They can't win, and you can't lose. Now, why does this matter? Let me tell you why it matters. Because one of Satan's tactics is to try to convince us God's not on our side. That because of mistakes we've made, shortcomings, failures, stuff back there, that that for some reason the devil has convinced you that because you did what you did and you went where you went and you said what you said and you've got this history behind you, that because of that, God is not on your side, but he's maybe kind of on your side or every once in a while on your side. He's not quite sure whether or not he's going to be on your side. That's the way you think, but that's not the way he thinks. Do you know that that's the lie that Satan used against Eve all the way back in the Garden of Eden? It was his lie and his tactic was to convince her that God was not on her side. Because when you wake up and you say, God's no longer on my side, you're in trouble. You're going to slide when, when you think he's no longer on your side. You're going to slide if you think he's walked away from you because here's what he did with Eve. God had told Adam and Eve, if you can have everything in this garden you want, everything in this beautiful garden, but you cannot eat of that tree, that one tree right over there. You can't eat of that tree, the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil, because the day you eat of it, you will die. So they had one thing they couldn't have, and of course, the human nature, that's the one thing they wanted. But listen to how the devil approached her. He came to her, and he said, 
Eve, this death thing, that if you eat of that tree, this death thing, that's a lie. You'll not die. Now look at the way he works this. Look at the way he works this in Genesis 3, 5. God knows very well that the instant you eat it, you will become like him, for your eyes will be open. You will be able to distinguish good from evil. Now, notice the phraseology. Look at what he's saying. God knows. In other words, Eve, he knows something he's kept from you. And he's kept it from you because he doesn't want you to be like him. The insinuation is, Eve, he's keeping you from a blessing. He doesn't want what's best for you. He's threatened by you if you eat that tree. How stupid is that? But you see, he's undermining the character of God here and God's intent towards Adam and Eve, and he's misrepresenting God, trying to convince her that God's no longer really, he's not really with her. Because he doesn't want the best for her. The best would be to eat of that tree. He's telling her that God has an unjust motive for telling them not to eat of the tree or they will die. It's not for their good that he has forbidden the tree from them, but in order to exclude them from a blessing to be like him. Oh, the devil, he's a liar. How do you, how do you know the devil's lying if he's talking? He cannot tell the truth. And I want you to notice right here, he, here's Eve, she's listening to him. And let me just also say, I don't believe that it was a snake that, that, that you know, crawled up to her and kind of stood up like a king cobra would do. And I don't think he's looking at her in the eye like a snake. I think, I think the, the, the verbiage in Genesis means that the, the devil was serpent-like. He was snake-like. Snakes have gotten a bad rap because of Genesis. There's only four poisonous ones in Texas. Any of the others, let them live. They eat the rats. But that's free. I didn't mean to say that. I'm just letting you know that. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. I don't believe that, that a snake was, was, was talking to her. I believe the, the Genesis is telling he was serpent-like, sneaky, crafty, sly, cunning. And he's putting in her brain thoughts about God that were a lie. He doesn't want the best for you. He's not really for you. He is really afraid that if you eat that tree, you're going to be like him. So Eve, he is keeping from you a great blessing. And she believed the lie, doubted the character of God, and fell in defeat. And this is why the belief that God is for you is so important to victory. God is pulling for you. Can I just tell you the truth? If God be for us, he's telling us God is for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? He's pulling for you. God is on your side. He wants you to win. He wants you to win. He wants you to win. He is pulling for you. You are his child. You are his born again child of God, washed in the blood of his son. He is totally and completely for you. And nothing has been held back that can lead you into victory. Not one thing. He hasn't kept one thing from you, even the Holy Ghost, to help you win. He put the Holy Ghost inside of you to pray for you in a way that you can't pray for yourself. 
And in the same way, listen to Romans, same chapter, same great chapter, in the same way. You want to know how, how much God's fighting for you? In the same way, the Holy Spirit helps us with our daily problems and in our praying. Did you hear those words? The Holy Spirit helps us. If he's not for me, why would he be helping me? He's for me. The Holy Spirit helps us with our daily problems in our praying. For we don't even know what we should pray for, nor how we to pray, ought to pray as we should. But the Holy Spirit prays for us. With such feeling, it cannot be expressed in words. The Holy Ghost down inside of you knows the will of God for you and is praying for you all the time, interceding for you. Why? Because God is for you and not against you. He's pulling for you. Forget your history. Your history is washed in the blood of the Lamb. God doesn't see it. Let it go. What about your history? We've all got a history. But that history has been washed away. It has been removed as far as the east is from the west. Man, I'm about to preach today. Let me tell you, listen to me carefully. You guys do this to me. I tell myself I'm going to be real distinguished and sit up here and be conversational and save my energy for the next two services, and then this happens to me. Because I get moved with truth. Truth moves me. The Word of God moves me, and I know that it moves you. But here you've got the Holy Spirit praying for you, God pulling for you. He that spared not his own son but gave him for us all, how will he not free, with him freely give us all things? God has withheld nothing in his attempt to see us through to victory. He is for us. He's for you. He's for you totally. So say with me, he's decreed my victory, and he is for me. Turn to your neighbor and tell him he's for you. I want you to turn to your neighbor, both sides, and say he's for you. Don't stare at me. Tell your neighbor he's for you. God is for you. Now, a final key in Paul's conquering attitude is in his unfailing trust that God loves us unconditionally unconditionally. Now, those of us who were raised in um, the Protestant work ethic, we, we have a really hard time removing our own actions from being loved or not loved. We have a really hard time with that. I'm loved if I do this right. If I don't do it right, I'm not loved. Love is conditional to a lot of people. They cannot believe that, that if they fail, they're still loved. If they mess up, they're still loved. Oh, no, 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 I got to go do penance, and I got to go do a, a million things right for the one thing I did wrong, or I'm not going to be loved anymore. Let me tell you something. God loves you unconditionally in the middle of your failure, in the middle of your mistake. He loves you unconditionally. Paul says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Can anything a failure, a mistake, a shortcoming, a blooper? Can anything ever separate us from his love? The answer is no. Then listen to what he says next. And he gets right to the root of the problem. He says, does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death. Do you get it? He's saying, if I'm surrounded by adverse circumstances that are really hard, does that mean that God doesn't love me? 
As the scripture says, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No. He says, no. Hard times don't mean he no longer loves me. Despite all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, this exposes another standard lie of the devil. And let me hit it quick. That when we go through trials, tribulation, and troubles, when we go through hell on earth, when people walk away and do us wrong, or we lose a job, or we get into a wreck on the highway, or we walk out and there's a flat tire and the kids are going nuts and, and we can't pay the bills and we're, in a, we're between a, a rock and a hard place. And does that mean, does that give me the message that God doesn't really love me? Does that mean he doesn't love me? When things don't go your way, answers to prayers seem to tarry, that this somehow places God's love in doubt? Nope. A conquering attitude says nothing can separate me from the love of Jesus Christ. Not personal mistakes and failures, not letdowns and betrayals, not faulty friends or disloyal brethren. Hard times, says Paul, have nothing at all to do with whether or not Jesus loves us. And I want you to know that today. Uh, Some of you are going through a really tough time. My daughter couldn't even be here today because she couldn't take a Mother's Day because we lost Kathy nine months ago. I went to her grave yesterday and I put my hand on her tombstone and I said, sweetie, we miss you, we love you. You will always be remembered. I had to get up and walk away. But listen, have I for a second thought because of that He doesn't love me? Or has Julia thought that or Jeremy? No, no, no. I'm going to talk to you. Listen, let me finish this out strong. Are you ready? His love is manifested in his decree that everything, including pain you experience, is going to be made to bow to his purpose for you. And do you know what? It's the struggles that make us strong. You know, it's a fact. Let me close with this illustration. Listen to this. It's a known fact that a forest that has been protected, where the trees have grown in pristine condition and pristine circumstances, pristine environment, it is a known fact that those trees experiencing a storm will all fall, will all be uprooted, and they'll all be blown away. You know why? Because it is adversity that causes trees to put down deep roots. It is adversity that causes trees to protect themselves by putting roots deeper and stronger than they ever would have had before. It is adversity that really helps them and does not hurt them, aids them and does not hinder them. It is adversity. You, you show me a, a place where they, they, they protected the trees from wind and storm and rain and trouble, and those trees are in big trouble. If they ever experience a storm, they will never make it. But a forest 
constantly tested by adversity, will grow and endure due to the deep roots the trees have put down when the harsh winds were blowing. What am I saying here? Here's what I'm saying. Jesus loves you too much to keep you from all trouble. Because if he prevented this and prevented that and stopped this and stopped that and didn't let you hurt and didn't let you cry and didn't let you experience the toughness of life, your roots are shallow, tender, fragile, and you won't make it through a storm. No, his love is shown by what he walks you through and what he graces you to experience, and what he carries you through, the valleys of the shadow. That psalm is not just for people dying, it's for people living. Yea, though I walk through the valley of a shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because you are with me, your rod and staff comfort me. Like Andre Crouch said, if I'd never had a problem, I'd never know that God could solve them. I'd never know what faith in his word could do. Come on, everybody. Let's stand together, can we? Say with me, he's decreed my victory. He is for me. He unfailingly loves me. That's the anatomy of a conquering attitude. So I want us to pray together, can we? Lift your hands up to the Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for a conquering attitude. Now, Lord, we've heard your word today. We ask you to anoint your word to the place that we walk out of here today and live it out, live it out, live it out, live it out. Walk it out. Now say with me, I put on a conquering attitude. I'm not defeated. I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. Can we just sing a stanza to the Lord before we go? Thank you, Lord. I need you more, more than yesterday. I need you more, more than words can say. I need you Than ever before, I need you more. I need you. Can we make it a prayer and let's just lift our hands to the Lord and sing it? I need you more. To make us a conqueror, thank you, Lord. More than yesterday, I need you more. Yes, Lord. More than words can say, I need you more. Before I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. Give the Lord a hand of praise today. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Well, Wednesday night, we're going to go through the book of Acts. Uh, we're about finished. We've got a few weeks left and we're done. Now, right before you go, quick story. I'm cycling yesterday. And I'll be honest with you, I was struggling with Mother's Day and Kathy. I was struggling. So I went for a 20-mile ride. And I have a halfway point that I stop at. 
And I stopped there, and nobody was there, which I'm always thankful for because I just want to be with the Lord. So I'm talking to the Lord, and I don't feel like witnessing. Have you ever just not felt like witnessing? Come on, tell the truth. Don't look at me so holy. I didn't feel like witnessing. I felt like just praying and being with the Lord alone. Well, here comes a cyclist, and I'm hoping, I'm telling you the truth. I'm hoping that he goes on by. But he didn't. He stopped, and he sat right next to me. Hey! And he starts talking bikes. So I'm thinking, I just don't want to witness. So I told the Lord, I just don't feel like it. Do I, do I really need to? So I'm talking to him. All of a sudden, truth. Pastor Jeff, is that you? And this woman rides up on her bicycle. She says, I was riding by and I heard your voice. Well, the jig was up. It's out. I'm a pastor. The guy looked at me weird. So I figured I might as well, I might as well just tell him about the Lord and invite him to church. He may be here today, but listen, God's everywhere. Right there on a bike trail covered in sweat, not thinking anybody would know me. Somebody heard my voice. Was it you? It wasn't you? She, she's going to be here today, the, the cyclist, because she blew my cover bad. So anyway... Uh, God is good. He's using you everywhere you go because you are more than a conqueror. Let's count to three and shout together more than a conqueror. Mothers, be sure to grab your gift as you go through the doors. There's one for all of you, and it is beautiful. All right? One, two, three, more than a conqueror. God bless you. Have a good week.